0: Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of The Upgrade, a podcast covering the speculative grade market with a focus on leveraged credit and CLOs. My name is Bob Schultz, and I'm the sector lead for leveraged finance. On The Upgrade, we look at speculative grade companies we think have the potential to work their way up the rating scale and what that might mean for CLOs. We've also covered so-called priming transactions, and we've also looked at rising stars, companies that have made made it to IG from speculative grade. Today, we're discussing recent research entitled Dial M for Merger, a nod to the Hitchcock classic Dial M for Murder. Dialing in today for the discussion are Ramke Muthnakrishnan, Analytical Manager for Leveraged Finance and Recovery, Hannah Zhang, Director in Leveraged Finance and Recovery, and Dan Hu, Director in the CLO team. And one last M in the news today is privately held Medline. It's a healthcare manufacturer and while we won't be discussing it today it is one of the largest transactions uh, since the financial crisis and according to bloomberg the transaction's worth as much as 34 billion uh, including debt and a roughly 17 billion dollar equity check so uh, stay tuned for more details on that in future podcasts but back to our guests uh, welcome to the to the podcast and Romke, let's let's start with you so maybe tell us a little bit about the the genesis for this research and Talk a bit about how the pandemic impacted the pace of merger activities for uh, speculative-grade PE-driven transactions, please.
1: Sure, Bob, and thanks once again for uh, having us on this. Uh, You know, as the U.S. economy rebounced from the pandemic, uh, PE firms wasted really no time ramping up their activity. Uh, The overall number of PE-backed transactions reached 341 in the first half of 2021. This number is based on S&P's uh, leveraged commentary data publications. Now, moving the clock back to 2020, there were about 44 North American sponsor-backed M&A transactions, uh, this includes LBOs as well, in the first quarter of 2020. You know, by March, when the pandemic was in full swing, deals were shelved or abandoned altogether, and really PE firms shifted their focus to preserving uh you know, liquidity for their portfolio companies. In the second quarter of twenty twenty, you know, as the markets were sort of navigating through the uncertainty, there were nineteen MA deals that were completed, which brought the total number of sponsor backed MA transactions in the first half of twenty twenty to sixty three. Now, just to put this number in perspective, for the same period in twenty nineteen, the number of transactions was almost two times that at hundred and twelve. Uh, but things did pick up in the second half of 2020, uh, once the Fed Reserve announced their intervention through a host of programs to address uh, liquidity issues. Markets did respond with uh, renewed vigor. Uh, we saw a total of 93 sponsor-backed M&A transactions in the second half, and the overall number for 2020 went up to 156. Of course, this year has been incredibly busy, and in the first half of uh, 2021, we've already seen a record 144 sponsor-backed M&ADs.
0: Yeah, thank you. And so, um, yeah, it's a great summary or a great description of kind of the, the, the flow and the ebb and then the flow again on transactions. So what were some of the highlights from the research?
1: Sure. So, I mean, one of the questions uh, that's being asked of us is, you know, what's really driving these activities? And I think... Uh, you know, one can attribute the popularity of M&A transactions to three factors. First is just the you know, capital markets and the incredibly low borrowing costs and uh, reasonably healthy interest coverage, notwithstanding the high leverage. The second is, you know, last year, companies went on to uh, really address the pandemic by staying liquid. They went on to take on a lot of cash. So there's a lot of cash in the balance sheet. And the third would be the need for companies to really reposition themselves and their offering in a post-pandemic world. Uh, you know, what, what does this mean from a rating standpoint? Well, the P actions are certainly building the B-minus issuer cohort, you know, just given the high valuations and the increase in uh, leverage in uh, almost all of these sponsor-backed M&A deals. Uh, credit quality ends up in the lower end of the spec grade, so we're seeing uh, an increase in B-minus ratings.
0: Yep. Thank you. Yeah, and when we went into the pandemic with a high proportion of B-minuses, and obviously that's here to stay for, for the reasons you're describing. So, Hannah, let, let's turn to you, and, and what were some of the other findings from the research?
2: Sure. As Ramki just mentioned, we consider the structures of these PE-sponsored MA deals as mostly aggressive, Among the 237 M&A transactions we tracked, the average difference in leverage between sponsor-backed companies and spec rate borrowers is almost 1.7 terms, and on a median basis about 1.4 terms. And I want to note that this is based on S&P's adjusted EBITDA, which tends to be more conservative than marketing EBITDA or credit agreement EBITDA. Often these have aggressive adjustments, and in a way can understate the true amount of leverage. Regarding post-default expectations, the recovery point estimate for first lien debt held in sponsor-backed companies is 6 percentage points lower than average. These factors are reflected in the generally lower ratings of p sponsored m M&A transactions. Thanks,
0: Hannah. And so maybe talk a little bit about um, which sectors we saw as, as most active or quite active.
2: Sure. The technology sector, which was perhaps hurt the least by the pandemic, has had the largest MAA volumes in the past 12 months. The pandemic only reinforced the attractiveness of tech companies. MP sponsors raised funds to target this sector. Looking forward, we expect more MAA in the hardware and software subsectors than in the semiconductors industry. Also consolidation in the healthcare sector has also accelerated as industry players seek to grow with the goal of mitigating competitive and disruptive pressures. Makers of consumer stables, which focused on shoring up liquidity during the peak of the pandemic, have also restarted M&A and shareholder returns. Lastly, in the media and entertainment sector, pending transactions include the mergers of Discovery, WarnerMedia, Amazon MGM, and Univision to merge with the content business of Televisa.
0: Yep, thanks. Yeah, good Good review of the different sectors. Um, so, rob let's turn back to you, and, and are, are there any sectors we're seeing uh, relatively less activity?
1: There are certainly uh, some industries that are just being a lot more conservative, especially those that are facing, you know, headwinds as it relates to uh, environmental, social, and governance, or, uh, you know, climate-related factors. Uh, North American oil and gas producers, for instance, have remained uh, pretty disciplined in their capital spending um, and look to maintain a healthy balance sheet. Although midstream energy could be ripe for consolidation just given declining organic growth prospects, but we have not seen uh, very many mergers on that front. Companies in the metals and mining are also showing uh, financial moderation and prudence. So I, I would say these are sectors that saw very little activity.
0: Okay. Thank you. And, you know, we, both you and Hannah have been talking about um, proliferation of B-minus ratings, private equity, M&A, uh, dividend recaps to some extent driving the the, the PE transaction count. But uh, can you talk a little bit about the, the intersection of the B-minus, the private equity, and the M&A?
1: Sure. I mean, we had 55% of sponsored M&A uh, at the B-minus uh, rating level. And you know, this is not surprising given that uh, in our methodology, we view PE-owned companies as having a financial risk profile that's consistent with those of highly leveraged companies. And the B-minus uh, rating dominance is uh, evidenced in sectors that saw a lo- lot of m The top three sectors in this regard um, is uh, technology, healthcare, and business services. And they accounted for close to half the transactions. Of the companies in the tech sector, about 80% were rated B And for healthcare and business consumer services, the numbers were 64% and 66% respectively. And in the spec grade universe as a whole, 41% of the companies in the tech sector have a B minus rating, 38% uh, in consumer services, uh, and 35% in healthcare. Uh, are the second and third in that category.
0: No, thank you, and so let's turn to Dan, and, and we know that uh, B-minus is a popular uh, issuer credit rating for, for the CLOs, just given the yield. So given what we've just discussed on the supply of, of new issue loans in 2021, how CLO portfolios evolved this year?
3: Sure, Bob. So before COVID, at the start of 2020, B-minus exposure within uh, broadly syndicated CLOs have reached 20% on average which was a record at the time. As credits deteriorated in 2020, we saw that B minus exposure within CLOs increased to 25% from 20%, mainly due to downgrade from the single B and B plus issuers. Fast forward to today, the B minus exposures of these uh, pre-pandemic CLOs continue to hover around 25%. However, interestingly, the B minus exposure of the new issue CLOs, the CLOs that closed after the pandemic, are also coming in with B minus exposures at about 25%. So it seems like the B minus uh, at 25%, that new high is is here to stay. And we see that as evidence that the newer CLOs, as well as the pre-pandemic CLOs, are absorbing the new issuance supply of B minus loans. As we also mentioned, the healthcare and tech sectors, they they continue to represent uh, large positions within CLO portfolios. Uh, We track an index of 475 S&P rated broadly syndicated CLOs um, for 2021 and have found that the year-to-date turnover was about 40% on average from uh, January through September. And given what we just discussed on increasing leverage, we also see that the recovery rating distributions within CLO portfolios have also continued to deteriorate, as many of these uh, new loans that find their way to CLO portfolios also have weaker recovery ratings. Weaker credit ratings and recovery ratings will weigh on the rating cushion of CLO tranche ratings. Many CLO metrics continue to remain stable, um, like loan prices, triple C buckets, and OC cushions. All these metrics have improved since uh, the pandemic. However, uh, B minus is the one metric that has still hovered around at elevated levels at around 25%. So that's something that the CLO market will continue to look out for. Oh,
0: thanks, Dan. And, and just one question on Medline. Um, now they're in the market today. There's substantial, you know, billions of dollars worth of loans, I guess, that are that are in the structure. So how long practically uh before uh, we'd be able to see those loans show up in CLOs with the timing of trustee reports and those sorts of things? I mean if the transaction closes in mid-October, when when would they when would Medline loans, if they're purchased by CLOs, start showing up in our list of the top two fifty or other other surveillance mechanisms?
3: Um I mean, yes, CLOs are, they participate in new issuance markets, so I presume they they are one of the largest buyers of new loans. So if they participate, I, I imagine they'd be in there right away, but yeah, there's about a one month lag in the trusted reports, so potentially, you know, a month, a month and a half before we start to see them, there's a good chance that by the end of the year, they might reach the top 250 list.
0: No, th- Thanks for that, Dan. And thank you, all three of you, for the insights and discussion today. And, and this concludes episode 14 of The Upgrade.